0: Than a speeding bullet, more powerful than a locomotive. People believe tall buildings at a single bound. The Infant of Shipbound is now the man of steel. Hello! Welcome to the 69th episode of Superman Forever Radio, the final installment of my coverage of Birthright. I am your mild-mannered host, J. David Weeder, and I found him! By him, I mean that this week, Man of Steel merchandise started to roll into my local stores. I picked up the Movie Master Superman and Zod at Walmart, as well as the Funko vinyl figures of the same, and a Lego set. It's really here, people. We have a little over a month to go. Uh, not only that, but we also have the Metropolis Superman celebration. I am very, 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 very excited about this summer. It, it's it's kind of been an odd road. I kind of, as I mentioned last week, because uh, when this show began, there were a few rumblings of maybe a movie in the works. There had been some rumors. Christopher Nolan may or may not be involved. That whole thing. I mean, heck, at that time, John Hamm was still rumored to be playing Superman, and Army Hammer was uh, in the running at one point. But yet now, here we are, years later. And the merchandise is in our hands. It's on magazines, and we finally have trailers and TV spots. There's this weird part of me that's kind of been wading through rumors for so long that I don't know if I fully accepted this is really going to happen. And for me, it's uh, per- on a personal level, it's oddly synchronous. Because um, when I got married in April of 2006, Superman Returns was on the verge of hitting theaters, which was... One of those odd moments of realization during when I was engaged to my wife that when I finally saw the movie, I would be married to her. That was a very odd one. And we recently celebrated our seventh year of marriage by spending the day together. And at a little toy and hobby store, I happened upon a very simple Man of Steel figure. Because what Mattel will do is they have multiple levels. You've got your movie masters, which are highly detailed. Um, You've got these intermediate three and three quarters, but they'll normally take the three and three quarters figure, pare it down, no accessories, uh, kind of a lamer paint job to be honest with it, but they'll throw it at smaller outlets, uh, lower overhead, so places like Walgreens, you'll see them. I know they did that with the Dark Knight. But the whole anticipation in finding that fig- those figures took me back, because it, it, right now it just feels right to me. I feel invigorated. It's just, it's nice to have something to be excited about after so long. But the toys are out, the movie is coming, and it's just, it's an interesting time to be a Superman fan. I say interesting because there's so much division, you know, (laughs) with this trailer, this movie. Uh, But speaking of Superman fans, we have a pair of emails this week, which also excites and invigorates me. The first email is from Brad Jaynes, and it's entitled, "Birthright," More Like Birth Wrong. Brad writes today, just kidding, I actually birthright, I couldn't avoid the pun, I have a problem, and listening to your coverage has been a blast. I go back and forth on whether I like Birthright or Man of Steel better as an origin. I really wish this had come about as an actual reboot. The thousands were so muddy with continuity and this origin was so interesting that it would have been really great to see other creative teams uh, have a go at the Wade reimagining of our favorite character. Anyways, I didn't want you to be sad that you weren't getting emails anymore, so here you go. Incidentally, I thought Darkseid was in my neighborhood the other day, but it turns out that the sewer was backed up, and that's where the smell was coming from. Anyways, thanks for push- publishing your show when some of my other favorite Superman shows are on hiatus right now. You've been helping me get through this dry spell, and I love your personal take on Superman. Hearing your and Hey Kids comics take on Action 775 back-to-back was super interesting. See another pun there? And I liked Andy's idea of all the Super The Comics podcasters covering the same story at the same time. Keep up the great show, Brad Janes, Urbana, Illinois. And you know, I need to get in touch with Andy because I agree with him on the coverage of the same thing. That, and I, I just want to say hi to him because he's an awesome guy. But for those of you not listening to Hey Kids Comics, run do not walk to 2 freaks.com as soon as you're done listening to this, of course, and get an ear fill of their show. But to kind of fill you in, for those that haven't listened, Hey Kids Comics is a show that Andrew Leyland does with his son Michael Leyland, And recently they reviewed Action Comics 775 and just tore it a new one. Admittedly, the bulk of their criticisms were valid. And I agree with many of them. Even though I've been a little bit too busy to email in. Sorry, Andrew. But when I spoke of it, when I did my coverage, it was from a personal point of view. Really more of the, uh, this is what it means to me type of thing. However, that went to prove that, with as many Superman and comic book podcasts that are out there, we could all kind of talk about the same material and have wildly different reactions. It's an experiment I want to try, if we can sync it all up. But, as for Birthright vs. Man of Steel, I don't want to jump the gun on my notes here. But I like Man of Steel as an origin, and Birthright as a standalone story for reasons I'm going to get into at the end of the show. As for other Superman podcasts being on hiatus... They'll be back soon. Life gets crazy at times, but we always come back. Just do me a favor and maybe stick around this show when they do. Even if Darkseid smells like something the cat threw up. Still, go. you know, stick around. And keep the emails coming. I like emails. It lets me know people are actually listening and I'm not talking to myself. Speaking of, the next email is from Jose Antonio Rivera, which excites me because he dropped some awesome emails on uh, New 52 Adventures of Superman. And his email is entitled, My First Email. Well, to this show, I guess. And he writes, Dear David, Well, I find myself immersed in yet another of your podcasts. First, let me see how much I've enjoyed going through the old episodes. I love the random format, but what makes it better is that it allows you to explore all the different areas and subjects about the Man of Steel. Also, allow me to say how refreshing it is to hear more podcasts that are all about the love and fondness people have for Superman. Being a fan of the character almost all my life, It's hard to get excited or talk to people about Superman without a snide comment or the obligatory, Batman is better. (sighs) Um, As for my thoughts on the new Man of Steel trailer, the more I see, the more I want to see the movie. And I can't say how overjoyed I was when the trailer hit and people responding with surprise and excitement. Yes, there were naysayers, but overall, people really seemed to take to the trailer. And yes, trailers do lie... And we won't know to how the movie goes until the credits roll. But really, it's nice to see Superman getting a little more positive attention from the general public. Other thing, Another thing I'm really loving about this show is that it's given me pause to give things I didn't really love before. A try with a whole new set of eyes. Allow me to explain. Birthright, Birthright came out in 2003, just when I was starting college. I took a couple of years off high school and worked at a blockbuster, still living at home and having no rent. I had a lot of disposable income at the time and was picking up every superbook DC was putting out. When Birthright came out I was wary of it because I was very attached to the Burn reboot. While I loved Mark Wade as a writer I, thi- I was under the if it's not broke don't fix it state of mind. I bought the first two issues and were very meh about them. It didn't help that around the time classes were starting and I quit my job at Blockbuster so I wasn't buying comics as regularly as I was before. Cut to the present. When I listened to your coverage and I decided to give Birthright another shot, thanks to my local library, I was able to read it, and you know what? It's not so bad. There's a lot of things to like in Shock of Shock's I Don't Mind use art. I couldn't stand it in Secret Invasion, but here, everything has a cinematic quality and makes the book all the more enjoyable. If I had to pick a couple of favorite moments from the show, it would have to be your amazing rant slash speech at the end of What's So Funny About Truth and Justice episode, where I was literally smiling and excited by the end of it. I wish I could take that speech and have it in text or form, or I mean text form or have an audio clip of it, and just to show people who will want to be snarky about Superman, just to show it, play it for them. I can arrange that. Might not win any arguments, but at least the other side will be heard. My other favorite moment was, I believe, during the episode where you defended Lois Lane and talked about losing your friend. It brought back memories of when I was 12 and I lost my friend Matthew to an asthma attack. He had moved away that previous year, but still hearing that news was a gut punch. And weeks before I heard news, I was begging my parents to let me go out by myself to the comic shop. When they they had heard what happened, they let me go out by myself. I don't remember if I had bought anything or not. In fact, I remember going to Blockbuster afterwards to rent Batman Forever and a tape of Spider-Man and his amazing friends, where they met the Hulk out in Hollywood. But So, for not only sharing your experiences, but also helping me remember some of mine, I thank you, and I hope this is the first of many emails I write to, the show, to you in the show. In fact, I have an old email I sent to Scott Gardner and his, I've got a few things to say about Superman. I'd love to forward to you explaining just what Superman means to me, if I may. You may. Thank you, and keep up the good work. Sincerely, Jose A. Rivera. Thank you very much, Jose. Uh, first of all, I want to address two things at once uh, that you hit upon. First, the rant and Batman fans. Ah, This is hard for me to say, but Batman fans and their relentless need to tell me how awesome and realistic he is, on and on, has pretty much killed my love of Batman. Killed it. Because I used to love Batman. But it's been forced on me so much that I have no interest in him anymore. And in fact, I think the writing has gone out of its way to become what the fans hold Batman up to be. And now he's almost become a self-parody. And still, the fans want to tell me again and again how great Batman is, and how hardcore he is. Even when I have kind of read more exponentially more of Batman than they have, and counterpoint all the so-called facts that they are trying to throw at me. The entire rant at the end of the episode was inspired by one of these unsolicited speeches, and it just—it was—it had put me in a bad, bad mood. Um, however, once I went on the rant, I felt better. I was content. I recommend it to everyone. It's cathartic, kind of like sharing life events. Because when we talk about things out loud, such as the loss of a friend, it seems we always find somebody who had that same experience. It's painful, but we're never alone. Not in our pain, not in our fandom. Or sometimes our pain from fandom. So thank you for sharing that, and feel free to forward that email you sent to Scott, as long as Scott doesn't mind. And as for The Man of Steel... I talked about a little bit at the opening here. Uh, I'm actually driving 30 minutes away to a town west of where I live to get the advanced tickets from Walmart. If you don't know, Walmart is selling tickets to an advanced screening, which is the day before the release at 7 p.m. June 13th. The tickets will actually go on sale May 18th at 8 o'clock a.m. So why am I driving 30 minutes? Because the Walmart you buy tickets from dictates which theater you get tickets for. Smaller towns with one theater, maybe two theaters, probably not that big of a deal. But we have multiple theaters in this town, and we only have one IMAX. Those tickets are on sale at one Walmart, which is in a town 30 minutes away. So I'm going to probably be waking up at 5 a.m. and heading that way so I can be in line. I'm nothing if not dedicated. Just ask the local Walmart that I made two trips to a day for Man of Steel merchandise. Speaking of Man of Steel merchandise, which is kind of a convenient segue, who wants to win some? Namely, posters. The fine people at GB Posters have partnered with me to offer this one-time contest where you can win an exclusive Man of Steel poster from their bold selection. How, you ask? How do I win this, Dave? It's easy. Since we're kind of on the verge of a brand new Superman movie, I want to call back to that original Superman the movie from the 70s to win it's actually very simple. You just drop me an email with the issue number of Action Comics that would share a cover date with the date of the movie's release. So that's month and year of the movie's release. Cover date on the comic. There is a firm deadline, and I'll be doing reminders every day. I need that in by midnight on May 11th. So get those emails emails out as quickly as possible. The cover date that matches the month and year of the movie's release. That's it. Use IMDB and Mike's Amazing World of DC Comics. Then send the email to mail at com, And you will be entered into a drawing. And I will pull one winner who will get their, their poster sent to them. Uh, the contest details, as I said, I'm going to do reminders every day on Facebook. They're going to be found at supermanforever.com slash poster. Which will also display the range of posters available from GB Posters and link to other great posters and prints at gbposters.com. There will also be daily reminders on both Facebook and Twitter page, so you will not forget. So I gotta tell you, I really do love these posters. Some of them are kind of more comic renditions, some are phenomenally realistic. I spent a good 20-30 minutes just looking through them. So, one more time. Issue of Action Comics that shared the cover date with the month and year Superman the movie came out? Email the answer to mail at supermanforever.com by midnight May 11th 2013 to win one of these stri- posters that's actually pretty straightforward for now we have birthright to get back to with issues 10 11 and 12 from July through August of 2004 the creative team is still writer Mark Wade penciler Lionel Francis Yu inker Gary Allen Guilin letterer Richard Starkings colorist Dave McCaig and because I'm a little stopped up I'm going to jump um, off the lot mic for a moment and we're going to take a quick break and then we will come back I will cover birthright number 10 of steel and more superman homepage.com and we're back ready to dive into the last three issues of superman birthright beginning with issue 10 which following the cliffhanger from issue 9 picks right up with clark on a rooftop nervously changing into his superman costume as the giant kryptonian monster vehicle thing smashes through the streets of metropolis superman flies into action and begins to fight the monster even as the police fire on the Man of Steel, and Jimmy snaps pictures of the unbelievable scene. Back at the Daily Planet, the bullpen is going crazy. It is absolute chaos, as various reports, some of them conflicting, come streaming in. Jimmy is able to send Lois and Perry a picture of what is happening, and for once, both of them are rendered speechless. Mark that down? That doesn't happen very often. Across the city, Lex is evacuating his offices and staying behind to watch his machinations play out. Or is it machinations? You know what, you decide. Luthor activates his coup de gras, a machine that essentially broadcasts kryptonite radiation. It is everywhere, which means Superman is in trouble. The creature knocks Superman down to the streets where the military, the police, even citizens shoot at the Man of Steel. They pursue Superman and he flees into an alley where he promptly vanishes, but Clark suddenly appears next to Lois on the scene. And she gives him some crap about running with the big dogs. The metropolis streets are now absolute utter chaos. The vehicles are appearing out of nowhere, Kryptonian foot soldiers and regular people are smashing anything with Superman's symbol. It's just bedlam. Lois and Clark get back to the Daily Planet where Perry White tears into Clark for coming back to the office with no story. And White harks Clark at his computer and tells him, you know, get to work. To make matters worse, Galloway orders Clark to write a story on how LexCorp is coping during the crisis, and he does this by force. Conflicted, feeling the effects of kryptonite which is permeating everything, Clark messages Martha and Jonathan. Both of his parents tell him to come home, where he's safe, let the police and the military take care of the invasion. So Clark writes a letter of resignation, boxes the contents of his desk, and starts out of the Daily Planet offices. But before he leaves, he runs into Lois. She berates Clark for leaving because he is scared. Well, everyone's scared, even Lois herself. And she calls Clark a coward and he simply walks out, calling out behind him that he knows. As tense as this moment is, what happens next ratchets things up to 11. A Kryptonian general named Van Gar co-ops a news camera and declares himself as the new government of Earth. He says that Superman's shield symbol will represent Krypton's rule and burns the sigil into the ground. From above, Clark sees this and has his second wind, and he suits up. He flies right into action, responding to Vanguard's desecration of his symbol with like hell. And so ends our issue. And I know what you're thinking. And you're right. You're right. I was just talking last week about how Clark keeps going with his never-ending battle. Yet, in this issue, he momentarily quits. He walks out of his job, He says, the heck with it, my boss is writing me, the public hates me, there's an alien invasion, deuces, I'm out. He's pushed to the brink, rejected, outmatched in every way. I get this. I get this, though. Because the point is, the last page, when he decides, in the end, to fly into the face of that opposition. He faces certain death or worse, but when it comes down to it, down to the wire, he's willing to risk that. And truthfully, if he hadn't experienced this moment of doubt, then I would probably be concerned. It's early in his career, he's experiencing something that is beyond the scope of comprehension. I know we've all had bad days, but come on, our people haven't invaded the planet. And yeah, think that through, Clark, please. Make this decision based on what you have. And for those that would detract from this story because of this moment, bear in mind that Man of Steel, the original John Byrne miniseries, had a very, very brief moment in Issue 1 where Clark had a kind of a similar moment of doubt after saving the space plane. It's the fact that Clark looked at this horrible situation, turned around, and flew back in that matters. That is Kobe's presence in this issue. Kobe went up against impossible odds, and likely death, and he pushed through. It's not stated, but it's very much there, that influence. In fact, it's because it isn't stated that I actually like it because Wade leaves it to the reader to connect the subtext dots. So thank you for respecting our intelligence Mr. Mark Wade. It's this decision that makes him Superman. It's not the powers, it's not the costume, not the name, the choice to go against the impossible to protect the innocent. That at its core is Superman. He may not have a road map, but he knows what the right decision is and he's gonna make it regardless of the odds or the cost. Now bear in mind that as police shoot at Superman, and the public berates him, the Man of Steel continues to save people and protect them. Why? Because it's right. Because it's true. And, well, nobody else can. That is what I want from a Superman, even if he has a moment of doubt. I can forgive it. Because we all have doubts. That's what makes him human. But where you and I may fail and falter, Superman as a concept, as a character, he always comes through. That's why I'm proud to wear the S symbol, just in case anybody was asking. Now, As for the odds and end notes here, Page One has more great architecture and one of the best homages ever, as Clark changes to Superman behind a billboard. And the billboard is for a cell phone company. It depicts a man in a phone booth. How, how awesome is that? It's very meta. Uh, maybe not meta. I may not know what I'm talking about there. It's a good homage. Pages 2 and 3 show an awesome two-page splash of the Kryptonian monster, and it is huge. And Metropolis looks perfectly consistent from the first time we saw it from another angle. And you know, I dig consistency. Uh, The designs for the Kryptonian foot soldiers were somewhat reused in the Superman-Batman storyline The Search for Kryptonite. A bit of streamlining, a bit of tweaking, but Superman wore that as armor at one point. And as Superman is shot by the police on page 10, it's kind of jarring. You get used to Batman and Spider-Man being on the wrong side of the law, but Superman? I don't know that I could ever get used to that. Uh, On page 11, Superman is bleeding, and noticeably. Uh, It's well visible to everybody around, but on page 12, Lois Lane, trained reporter, completely misses that Clark is also bleeding in the same place. However, she's looking for the Man of Steel. I chalk it up to her being just right in the heat of things news-wise. And I am reminded of the real world and how fickle the public can be on page 13. It holds true here that we will embrace celebrities one moment and then absolutely reject and ridicule them the moment they make a misstep. Although we are willing to forgive them as soon as they appear on People Magazine after rehab, given the thumbs up, I've completely changed. I'm turned around. I'm a completely different person now. I'm looking at you, Drew Barrymore. Uh, it does make me want to think twice uh, before actually condemning a celebrity. No, except for maybe the Kardashians. I'll condemn them all they want. They're not exempt. Uh, pages 14 and 15, this may be the harshest I've ever seen Perry be, but it does fit. I mean, to run a paper in in a time like an alien invasion, there's no time for niceties. But he still has integrity, unlike Galloway, who's chasing the almighty dollar. Not the news, but the dollar. Like an advertiser, and by golly, we're going to make money off the end of the world if it kills us. It just might. And I get Perry, I do, but Galloway is trash. He's just pure and simple, and it's Galloway that breaks Clark and kicks idealism in the face. And kind of wrapping up this issue, we have Vanguard standing in a giant Superman symbol made out of flames. Who does he think he is? The Crow? Daredevil? The Thomas Jane Punisher? Lame note. My my absolute final note before moving on. On page 22, it's an awesome shot, plain and simple. I know Superman has red eyes, but this is a scenario where he's angry. He's riled up beyond belief, and I get it, I dig it. Superman has the red eyes when somebody should be, well, filling their shorts. And Vanguard brought it down on himself. But what has Vanguard brought down? Let's crack open Birthright number 11 and find out. The chaos in Metropolis continues as the full-on attack progresses, sending Metropolis residents running through the streets, Still weak and suffering the effects of the kryptonite, Superman struggles to protect people where he can. Using his enhanced vision, Superman realizes that something isn't right. Many of the troops seem to be nothing more than illusions. On the Daily Planet rooftop, Lois also knows that things aren't adding up and she struggles to put the pieces together because, well, she doesn't have the enhanced vision. When Superman plops down right in front of her, they put their heads together. And though he's reluctant at first, he has earned Lois Lane's trust and explains Kryptonite to her in full. Turns out that on top of weakening Superman, Lex is also using the substance to project the Kryptonian images and fake the invasion. Although some of the troops and equipment are real, Krypton is, well, mostly fake. He also tells her that the Kryptonite is in a lab across town with an alley entrance and disables the security from a distance. So Lois heads for the lab and the meteorite as Superman gets back to work saving people. In fact, the Man of Steel stops an execution of several people at the hands of Vanguard, and Superman tries to explain that this is all an illusion, but then Vanguard proceeds to beat Superman. He seems to have Kryptonian strength, and it is fairly brutal. Vanguard even rips the symbol off of Superman's chest. On top of the brutal beating of Superman, a giant take arrives on the scene, sending energy bolts flying all over the place, potentially hurting the bystanders. Superman goes into rescue mode, pulling away from Vanguard and whisking the people away, but he missed one. A little boy, standing motionless and scared, as the tank's bolts threaten to obliterate him. Superman tears the giant S-symbol off of the tank and jumps in front of the bolt, using the symbol as a giant shield, an image that Jimmy Olsen captures with his camera. Thanks to technology, the image goes from Jimmy's camera to the Daily Planet and all around the world in only moments, and the world begins to rally behind Superman. Watching his plans get derailed, Luthor tells his faux-anti-Krypton army, the ones that would come in and quote-unquote stand up to the Kryptonians, to hold off for just a moment so Vangar's artificial powers can finish the job on Superman. Vangar and Superman go toe-to-toe once more and begin an intense fight, and a fight that Superman is losing. As Vangar is about to deliver a crushing blow, a rock gets thrown against his helmet, and the one who threw it? Jimmy Olsen. And there's a crowd of people, and the message is clear. Superman is with us. Elsewhere, Lois reaches the lab and gets her hands on the meteorite, thinking that the day has been won, but what Lois doesn't see is Lex. He knows she is there, and he is not happy that somebody is playing with his toys. And that wraps up this installment. And really... To jump right in, if you don't mind, this one takes it back to the Lex-Lois-Superman conflict that I mentioned, and it ratches that up to 11 as well. We finally get this spark between Superman and Lois, which is maybe a little too little too late, but it's what I've been hungering for this whole time, so I'll take what I can get. On top of that, it's a huge, intense action issue. Really this moved at just the right clip, slowing down at certain parts to develop the story, but otherwise upping the ante. And it was harsh. We see Superman actually getting beaten, which is a bit unnerving. Um, One of the hardest things to do when you're reading comics is to maintain the suspense. Readers know that Superman isn't going to die, well, again. But to have my heart pounding as he takes Vanguard's blows? That takes some doing. Um, Because, I mean, that's the thing. We know he's going to come out of it, okay, or we assume. I I think the turning point was when Vanguard ripped the symbol off of Superman's costume. It's it's a desecration, both in the context of the story and for the reader as well. Because we recognize that symbol. We know what it means. But the high point is Lois and Superman forming a sort of alliance. Not only do we get the line from Lois that she trusts Superman, but we get Superman opening up in return. It's not flying through the clouds with John Williams' music, but it's romantic because he's exposing his innermost weakness, his deepest secret to her. And I wish we had seen more of this earlier in in the series but compared to later retellings of the origin that tried to take cues from birthright this is pretty stellar it's subtle maybe a bit oddly placed but it does throw lois right into the action it makes her a full partner in saving the day but the issue really is slingshotting us into the huge conclusion that we're minutes away from covering but a few odds and ends of course before we go to break and then we complete birthright I love Superman dropping down from the sky at Lois' feet just after she quietly asks him to let her help on page 5. Page 15 is maybe the single best page of this story. And you know what? It needed to be. The image of Superman blocking a young child from an energy bolt with that giant version of his symbol has to scream a lot of things all at once. It has to be awesome. In the dictionary version of the word that it should inspire awe. Okay, check. It needs to show what Superman is about, protecting the innocent from evil, check. It needs to display his symbol so the world knows and trusts it a bit more, big, big check. Now this was the image that I saw floating around Tumblr that drove me to finally buy this book in trade. I'd heard a lot of fans rave about how great it was, but the truth was it flew completely under my radar as it was coming out, mainly because I got it confused with Secret Identity, which was a completely different beast altogether. But after seeing this image over and over again, I finally broke down and bought the book in 2010. A little while after I began this show, I don't think I read it until a little bit, uh, a few weeks later, but it was all based on this image. And my reaction to reading the book the first time, well, I'm going to talk about that when we come back from a podcast promo break and finish our coverage of Birthright with Issue 12. Ready to form Voltron! Thunder. 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 Man. This is the job for Superman. Power Rangers. Right away, Michael. Autobots transform by the power of Gray <laughs> Skull. Hello. I'm on the doctor. Charlie's Geekcast, coming January 1st, 2013 to www.charliesgeekcast.com. You know what I love? I love allergy season. I love it in that not-at-all kind of way. And here in Missouri, we have been having this flip-flop weather, which isn't abnormal for us per se, but, you know, this season has been odd. You know, we go from spring weather where all the pollen's coming out and I'm getting stopped up, we drop immediately to cold weather, and guess what? I get stopped up. It's been this way all winter. It's been the most frustrating recording period I've ever had, so I apologize if you're hearing my stopped upness But uh There's not much I can do about it except for take a few allergy pills or, you know, completely live somewhere else. I'm not ruling the second one out. So let's pick right up and finish this with Birthright number 12, the epic finale. And we're picking up right where we left off. Because when Lois removed the kryptonite, all of Vanguard's soldiers disappear. And it's right around the time that Superman gets his groove back. And Superman, now powered back up, mops the floor with Vanguard. And he takes the tank that was threatening the people, hoists it up into the air like it's nothing. And meanwhile, as Superman is bringing Awesome back, Lois gets pushed around by a very angry Lex Luthor. And as Lex and Lois are, well, if you want to call it talking, that's fine. We hear a loud boom and kind of like a giant tank just landed on the door outside. And oddly enough, Lex's fake human resistance army can't fight the fake Kryptonians because, well, something's blocking the door. See what I did there? But as Lex is distracted, Lois takes the opportunity to start smashing some of Lex's controls as Superman starts smashing the soldiers left and right on the streets. With a brief quiet moment, Jimmy finds the shred of costume that Vanguard ripped from Superman's chest and hands it back to the Man of Steel. Using his heat vision, Superman places the symbol on his chest in its rightful place and repairs his costume. But Lex isn't done. He had a backup plan and the suits of the various soldiers begin to self-destruct sequence with Kryptonite used as the explosive. At the same instant, Lex throws Lois off of a Lexcorp tower. So now we have a new big-budget version of Double Jeopardy. However, we are talking about Superman. And he flies Vangar into the air where he tries to disarm the Kryptonite self-destruct mechanism. And the Superman manages to save Vangar. And the explosion happens in the air above Metropolis. Seconds later, right before Lois is about to become scrambled egg on the sidewalk, Superman catches her. And come on, saving Lois is what Superman does. So now it's down to Superman and Lex as Luthor kicks the wormhole up to, well, 11. I've used that analogy way too much in this episode. But now he's trying to establish communications with the old Kryptonians. Superman arrives and the two grapple with Superman weakened by the Kryptonite in the tower. As they do, images of Jor-El and Lara begin to display on Lex's machine and Superman witnesses his actual origin. Having had enough of Lex, Superman lays him out with a huge punch and then he tries to communicate with his birth parents through the wormhole, but the machine powers down, leaving Superman in darkness with only the unconscious Lex. The danger is past, and his one brief moment to connect with his heritage is now gone too. But Lois Lane and Clark Kent are star reporters after sharing a byline on a story about Luthor's indictment, and after Lois threw away Clark's letter of resignation before Perry saw it, and things begin to settle into the familiar for the staff of the Daily Planet. And we leave them with Lois stating that the S symbol will not be remembered for the Kryptonian invasion, it will be remembered for Superman. But, we have one more scene, and that is of Jor-El and Lara, moments after we left them in issue 1. And they see their son, now an adult, communicating on the view screen from a future time and place, and he tells them he made it, as the rocket is sailing off jor and Laura pull each other close as the explosions happen around them and they die with the knowledge that their son and their hopes for him live on. And so ends Birthright. You probably know what I'm about to say. You probably predicted this. I love, love, love that last scene. I love the last panel. For everything that has happened in the 11 issue since we last saw Jor-El and Lara, the emotion comes right back to the forefront. It puts the perfect button on the story right where it needs to go. As I said before the break, I was a bit late to the party with this book. And when I finally sat down to read it, it was on the heels of Secret Origin finally ending, or at least being about to end, and Earth-1 coming out. I don't remember what order I read these in, But I was just filled with these alternate origin tales. Plus, reading reprints of the original origins, all of it melted into one big blob. But this ending and the emotional opening, it stood out amongst these. Even as some of Earth One and Secret Origin and this all merged in and out together, this poignant moment got to me. It should get to the reader. And it completes the journey we started with issue one. It brings everything full circle, which kind of begs the question... How does Birthright work as a whole? What was my first impression? Well, as a trade, the read is seamless. We bleed from issue to issue, no noticeable break in the story. It's a, a very smooth read. As a whole, read in one sitting, it inspired in me a feeling of, meh. It didn't live up to that image that drew me to it. Or the hype that other fans have put into it. That was roughly three years ago. However, it's a mental boomerang, especially with that hook of the emotional Jor-El and Lara scenes. And that hook brought me back to it, uh, roughly the summer of 2011, and I decided to give it another read. And time actually was very kind to it. Separated from the other 21st century reinventions and read as a simple, standalone story about this character called Clark Kent who becomes Superman, this won me over. And yes, the aura, the vegetarian aspect wasn't for me. But at the same time, we had seen it before with Elliot S. Magan. And here it was used sparsely. And the aura was used to great effect with Kobe's death and then it was put away. Yes, there wasn't a lot of the Clark Lois Superman triangle. And he was a bit mopey in parts. But he wasn't emo. And Mark Wade asked some very good, spot-on questions. And there was a good balance of the introspective young man of 25 and the ageless superhero icon. Yu's art grew on me, mainly because he set a different tone than others who attempted to innovate. His backgrounds were breathtaking, from the cities of Krypton to the plains of Africa and, of course, Metropolis. And his Clark, prior to the alter ego, looks like a strapping young man. Not a mild-mannered reporter. Much like seeing yearbook pictures of your parents. You know, they're familiar, yet different. I know, I've harped on that theme all the way through these last four episodes. I remain kind of on the fence with his rendition of Luthor... Or at least Mark Wade's rendition, because I feel like he's a bit more sympathetic and yet at the same time found his backstory fascinating. So I just, I can never put right, you know, my my feelings on the subject change from day to day, I guess is the best way to put it. I want to outright love Luthor for how much I hate him. And this version of his backstory kind of took part of that away. But, riveting reading. I like the idea of Clark and Lex being so similar and taking different paths because of that. Now, in the long term, it was the things that did deviate that kept the story in my mind, like the Africa segment. It felt grand in scope. It was Superman in unfamiliar territory. And it kind of went against, you know, my normal tastes. So it actually stayed with me. However, Kobe and Abina didn't stand out. And I think it's because, unlike Jor-El and Lara, they never reappeared. We didn't have that touchstone again. We never even got them referenced in the rest of the story. I don't know that I appreciated them until reading the book for the show when their influence kind of became clearer to me. And inspired by the views from the Longbox episode I did with Michael Bailey when we covered Secret Origin, I think the relevant question is, the one that he posed to me, does birthright matter? Now, as far as good Superman stories go, yeah, this ranks up there. But is it required reading? Will it change somebody's mind on the character? I can actually tell you yes. Uh, I handed the book to a co worker who wasn't really a Superman fan. Uh, he wasn't a detractor either. He was uh, ambivalent. And he got into it. And we started talking about it. We started having these conversations about it. And, you know, that was excellent. This would be a, a great book to hand to anyone and uh, give them a bit of a fresh take on Superman. It's a solid starter kit. It's got a lot of branch off potential. There's a lot of questions that could be posed. It's got a little bit of Smallville. Superman the movie, Superman Returns, and more. And there's enough there to prompt interest and inspire a new reader to look a little bit closer at the character. But what about us uh, grizzled old veterans who've been around the block a few times? Well, it's fresh. It doesn't go against the grain, which is maybe its best feat. And I found things at every leg of the journey, you know, to keep me interested. From Clark's travels to concocting his alter ego to seeing Lex's younger days, there was just the right balance. Now, it doesn't resonate in me the same way that For All Seasons did. And, well, that it does. But it's become the most frequently loaned book in my collection, and it will remain so. Why? Well, people respond to it. And for a Superman apologist, that's a great tool. And with that, I'm going to close out my coverage and move to an episode of Superman the Animated Series. And this week's episode of Superman the Animated Series is Monkey Fun, which was written by Evan Dorkin and Sarah Dyer, and directed by Kurt Gaeta. It aired on September 27th of 1997. The synopsis, directly from the DC Animated Universe wiki, goes as thus. 20 years ago, Lois and Lucy Lane would play with a young chimp by the name of Titano. They loved playing with Titano and would play with a stuffed monkey called Beppo that would play the song Pop Goes the Weasel When Squeezed. Not the third base song. That's me editorializing. You no, know, pop goes the weasel because the weasel goes pop. Not that one, the original. Unfortunately, this was not to last. Titano was taken by members of the military and sent into outer space. In spite of all reassurances, Lois is upset that something may go wrong. And Lois' fears were realized when something did go wrong. And the rocket was lost in space. Once again, not Danger Will Robinson. It was actually lost. This thing is out in the middle of nowhere. In the present, Superman is out in space, you know, where Will Robinson is, and ready to destroy a meteor storm heading towards a space station. Superman punches one of the meteors and causes a chain reaction that causes all of them to start to explode. A strange blue aura surrounds all of the meteors, but Superman doesn't seem to notice. What he does notice, however, is a ship lodged into a large meteor. He flies to it and takes Titano, who is still alive, in the ship. Titano is returned to Earth, but is unresponsive to everyone. Professor Hamilton makes a mention that Titano is twice as heavy now as when they launched him, but no explanation is given. Lois walks in and Titano finally becomes responsive. In spite of her initial protests, Lois takes Titano home with her, where he find, she finds that his antics are, well, less than amusing. Lois sits down and doesn't notice that Titano suddenly has a big growth spurt. Later, Jimmy comes by to take pictures of Titano and Lois leaves him there. However, Titano starts growing and growing, Back at Star Labs, Superman learns that there was gas in the meteors, which may be why Titano had been kept in a suspended state. Just then, there is a screen. Superman and Hamilton investigate and notice some blob-like creatures attacking the personnel. Superman fights them and Hamilton finally manages to freeze them with a fire extinguisher. Hamilton then explains that they are bacteria that have grown to human size through exposure to the atmosphere. At the same time, both Superman and Hamilton realize the implications of Titano's exposure. Jimmy is having a hard time with Titano, who is now about 7 feet tall and massively unsettled. He calls for Lois to come and frantically searches for a way out. Titano grows again, this time reaching a height of about 20 feet, and Jimmy runs out of the apartment. Unfortunately, Jimmy slips on a banana peel, no, I'm not making that up, and falls off the building. Fortunately, Superman manages to save him. However, when they return to the apartment, Titano is gone. Out in the city, Titano, now about 50 feet in height, decides to make a visit to the zoo and frees his fellow monkeys. The monkeys run amok and one of them accidentally opens the lion cage. The lions make a dash at some kids, but Superman traps them in another cage. Theme there. Titano continues his trip through the city and finds a shipment of bananas at the dock. Bibbo confronts Titano. Bibbo! But is thrown away. The SCU comes shortly afterward and hit Titano with tranquilizer darts, but they only make him angry, and you would not like him when he is angry. Superman confronts Titano, but even he can't beat him, and Titano makes his escape. Fortunately, Sam Lane calls up Lois and says he has something that can calm Titano. Meanwhile, Titano goes to the amusement park, but becomes frightened when he sees a rocket ship ride, which reminds him of the ship he was blasted away in. He backs away and nearly knocks over a woman in a parachute ride. Superman saves her from falling, but has to save some people on the roller coaster from a curious Titano. Superman and Titano continue to fight. Lois tries to use Beppo on Titano, but it's not loud enough. Superman is distracted by Lois and gets hit into a booth full of toy monkeys. Unfortunately, Beppo is lost amongst the other monkeys. While Lois and Jimmy frantically search for Beppo, Superman goes after Titano, who has grabbed up a ferris wheel and Lois finally finds Beppo and plays his song over the speakers. Titano is calmed by the music, and the SCU calls in some helicopters to hit Titano with sleeping gas. Titano is taken to a tropical island where he can live happily with other monkeys. Star Labs has stopped Titano's growth spurts, and though Lois has to say goodbye to him again, she isn't heartbroken. As a memento, Titano has Beppo wrapped around his neck on a necklace. Aww. And how can you really go wrong with giant monkeys? Really? And to begin with the cuteness of kids playing with an adorable monkey, it definitely gets my attention and then breaks my heart when Titano is taken from Lois. No, really. Between the scene where Titano is taken away and his frightened screams as the rockets launching, I got a little upset at that that part. And maybe it's me thinking of my dog and projecting, but it works and it works at breaking my heart. So then we jump 20 years to see Superman wearing his Kenner Toys space armor. If it didn't look as good as it does, I would be upset. I do have a gripe in the scene where Superman is smashing the meteors. Because he stops Titano's meteor gently. No chain reactions or explosions. It's, it's a little, little convenient. And then we go all bedtime for Bonzo, and here's the thing. Lois Lane's model sheet changes. She's not wearing the purple dress. Instead, she's in a form-fitting white top and black pants. It's, it's really refreshing, and it changes the mood around Lois a bit, and it's a change for the good. Now, Titano is a giant monkey on the loose, and where is the first place he goes? A place of captivity. That's what's known as irony, folks. And the Metropolis Zoo is the most futuristic place I have ever seen. It's like something out of the Jetsons, and yet there's an odd retro vibe to it all, kind of like the Jetsons. It's something in the design of the zoo or maybe Lois' new outfit. But the episode starts feeling like a 60s sci-fi movie and then... Bibbo! This show was lacking on Bibbo, but let's be honest. What in life is not lacking on Bibbo? And as for the climax, Superman fighting a giant monkey? Well, what can I say? Robots and giant monkeys will win me over every time. There's a humor element to a giant monkey as well as a threat. It's a win-win. And speaking of threat, there were a lot of people falling from heights... Jimmy and a girl at the amusement park. One save of a kind per episode, please. Let's keep that quota going. The action uh, is actually pretty solid, to be honest with you. Titano, he's a solid sparring partner, and using the amusement park as a backdrop adds that classic flair and raises the stakes. Not only do you have victims or potential victims, you have potential weapons as well. And as Superman and Titano grapple with the Ferris wheel, there are actually people inside the Ferris wheel. One wrong move, and bystanders are up the creek with massive casualties. And using a music-playing monkey keeps our perspective that, for all the size that Titano has, all the moodiness, he's still a sweet chimp at heart who's just scared and confused. This episode had some solid moments, uh, but it's the energy that kept this one in my head long after I watched it. With locations such as Lois and Lucy's childhood home on the military base to the zoo and the amusement park, it looked different. And Lois actually owns more than one set of clothes. And I think some of that goes to Evan Dorkin, who also co-wrote the Livewire episode with one of the series' regular writers, Sarah Dyer, who is his real-life wife and also a comic writer. As I mentioned in that episode, it took us to a part of Metropolis that had a different feel, and I see the connection. For those that don't know, Evan Dorkin is, well, mostly known for indie comics, like Milk and Cheese and Dork. And you know, Milk and Cheese got me a free ride at an amusement park because the guy running the ride had a tattoo of Milk and Cheese and I was the one person in his whole, his whole tenure to recognize them. So, win-win. But Dork also has a, a cast of comic and gaming fans. As I mentioned, both uh, Dyer and Dorkin come from the indie side of comics and that may be the vibe that works here. ...and with the Livewire episode. The voice cast is another element. On top of our normal cast and series regulars like Brad, Garrett, as Bibbo... ...in a great turn as the only regular citizen to take on Titano... ...and with a rolled-up newspaper to boot. We have a, a small, I don't know if you'd call it an Easter egg, but a little treat. Sam Lane, who is depicted here as, well, more congenial and nice than you would ever see him... ...is voiced by Disney movie mainstay Dean Jones. Now, you probably know Dean Jones from the original Herbie the Love Bug movies... And I had to double check because I thought he was long retired by this point, but he had actually appeared in the remake of That Darn Cat with Christina Ricci and a Love Bug movie on TV that same year. This is truly inspired casting, bringing a Disney vet into the fray, and it gives just the right seasoning for the episode, which does have a little bit of a Disney vibe. This one may not be the biggest and most awesome episode, but it does pull at the heartstrings, and it has action, it has laughs, and a great look. And with a giant monkey, what is there not to like? And that brings us to the close of episode 69, where I'm going to splice in this little edit that will seem seamless until I tell you it's a spliced in edit. Hmm. You'll notice that this episode is dropping on Tuesday, May 7th. Um, a editorial decision was made behind the scenes with me. I was in a meeting with myself and I said, self, we got to do something here. This is getting to be a little bit of a grind. Uh, see, Superman Forever has been coming out on Sundays, the bulk of its existence, and that was that was fantastic when I worked on Monday through Friday, you know, 9 to 5. My, my work schedule has actually changed quite a bit since then, and it's getting to be a little bit frustrating as far as my work schedule, my life schedule, getting the episodes out on Sunday. And I wanted to stick to that just because it was tradition, it was what I'd known before. But the reality is, I'm going to move the show to Tuesday, so new episodes will begin dropping every Tuesday with the exception of one on May 20th what this will allow me to do uh, is on my abnormal days off I can actually do a little bit more production polish it up a little so actually I think uh, you'll like the results so from here on in, Tuesday is the day you'll find it here Superman uh, Podcast Network iTunes, Superman Homepage that's all at the end, I don't know why I'm telling you this next week week, Superman and Shazam, round 2 actually this time it's a team up story but I'm not above sensationalism uh, until then, I am Jay David Weeder saying keep on fighting the never ending battle. Superman Forever Radio is a Napworld production. You can subscribe to the show on iTunes, where you can leave a review. The show's episodes and extended show notes are available at supermanforever.com, where episodes premiere every Sunday. Episode postings can also be found at the supermanhomepage.com and at supermanpodcastnetwork.com where you can find a wide variety of quality Superman podcasts for your listening pleasure. And episodes are also available on Stitcher Radio. Email is always welcome. The address is mail at supermanforever.com You can friend and follow the show at facebook.com slash Radio. And David is also on Twitter with the handle at Super Dave Weter. Weter is spelled W-E-T-E-R. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only and does not gain profit from the images or related properties of DC Comics or Warner Brothers Entertainment. Superman and all related characters are copyrighted properties of DC Comics and Warner Brothers Entertainment. All music and sound clips are used for entertainment purposes only and copyrights remain with the copyright holder. No infringement is intended. Superman was created by Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster. As always, thank you so much for listening.